welcome to Data Learners, where we learn about data science through a real-world, hands-on project guided by your data science mentor. That's me, I'm Tori. And I guess that makes me the data science learner, Sami. Good to be back with you guys this week. I thought we should check in with your project first. How's uh, everything going? Like we do every time. Yes. <laughs> so, I got stuck, and as I recently found out, unnecessarily so. My goal this last week was to write a program that would ping or request from the Google API latitudes and longitudes uh, from a list of addresses that I got from the Oakland parking ticket data stuff they give for free. And I last week almost spent $1,000 on accident uh, by using the geocoding API and sending them 252,000 requests. Glad I didn't do that. And so I came up with some creative solutions to be able to use Google Places to not spend $1,000 and do this for free. So you want mm -hmm. to get basically a list of addresses and their latitude and longitude as an input for more processing that you're going to do. Yeah, and the idea is I want them to be unique. I don't want to have doubles. So that way I can send fewer addresses to the Google Places API. And so what I did was I was like, okay, let's make a for loop um, to iterate through the CSV file that I've created and see if the address is there. If the address is there, then I don't send the request to Google API. If the address isn't there, I append it to the CSV file as along with its latitude and longitude. Okay, and the check that you're doing is check the output that you've already received from Google API, which you've stored somewhere else. Okay, so this is all one kind of step or like block of code that you've implemented that yes. does actually two things. Yes. Check for unique addresses and then get the latitude and longitude from your API. And then append those into a CSV file. Okay. So that then it checks the CSV things. file to see if the address is there for the next run through. Okay. So you were doing all of this inside one for loop. One for loop? Yeah, I was doing it all in one for loop. How'd that work out for you? Uh, more or less, it works sometimes, which is kind of weird because I felt I thought computers just followed directions, but gave it some weird directions. So it was weird because when I run it the first time through, it picks up new addresses and some of the duplicates it does not request, but some of them it does request for. And then if I run, if I stop the code and run it again, it will not collect things it's already collected, but it'll still pick up duplicates from later on. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So it's just funny. So I've kind of been racking my brain about it these last couple of days. And you just gave me the probably best time saving advice I could have used last week. <laughs> Which is don't reinvent the wheel. And this is probably the number one thing that I see junior data scientists get hung up on. Which is they know a little bit of Python and they just decide they're going to figure it out and write some code that'll do it um, without first thinking like, hey, a bunch of other data scientists have probably had this exact problem. Maybe I should search around for a solution first, which, well, I guess I should ask you, did you search for a solution first or did you just start writing code first? So I think I started like thinking about like, what do I want to do? And I actually, I wrote out a little like on paper and pencil, like what are my goals for this program and what I want to do? And then I started coding and I did look up solutions for how to do specific things, but I think that my scope, my what I was looking for, how to save myself time and how to do things was 
much smaller picture than what I need to be thinking about. Yeah, you you did the right programming thing. Maybe you learned this in one of your courses, but like you outline how the logical steps of how you're going to solve the problem before you start coding it, which is right. But I think the step before that is like, is there a library that implements this? So remember back in yeah. one of the first episodes, yeah. one of the first things I said to learn is pandas. Learn pandas. Because remember when you were <laughs> implementing also a SQL database because you had learned that from your course. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So how would you do this in pandas? What have we learned? So I've learned that in pandas, you can use a couple of things. I've got a little document that I wrote. Tips from Tori. <laughs> the first one is you could do df dot or data frame, um, which is whatever your data frame is named, the, the file handle for your data frame, dot drop duplicates, yep. um, which just gets rid of all the duplicates. And that, I think, iterates over all the columns and rows. Yeah, so it can actually, if you have multiple columns, just drop rows that are exactly identical across all those columns or just mm -hmm. for specific columns. Right, but I don't quite need to do that. I actually want only the addresses to be unique. I don't necessarily need the entire row of the data that I need to be unique in terms of like the amount the parking ticket was, the date it was, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So what I can do here is use df.address.unique. Mm -hmm. Address being the column mm -hmm. in the data frame that I'm going over and then unique just makes it so that it's only it's a list of unique addresses cool yeah which is so much easier in this stupid for loop that i made i mean i was pretty happy when it started running and it was like working ish yeah um, and that kind of raises another thing which is your for loop is doing three things right it's checking if you've already done the address if not, sending that address to the API and then logging that output to a CSV. Which is a lot of programming time, like in terms of like my computer's just doing a lot of work through that too. But like in terms of the problem you're having where you, you're getting some duplicates, mm -hmm. even though you thought you wouldn't, yeah. it's hard to debug that now because there's so many different things happening in one spot. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing it does is it starts to break up your data pipeline into distinct steps. So mm -hmm. first dedupe everything. Then, then as opposed to everything all at once. Yeah. It'll help it'll just help you mm -hmm. track down errors and bugs if you can have distinct functions yeah. that each do just one small thing. I will say though, in writing this we'll call it redundant code, it was fun. <laughs> like I like wrote it and then it started working and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm pinging the API and then it's giving me information back and I'm parsing that information and I'm making a list and I'm adding that list to a CSV file and I can like see it building up and then you know in some cases it's not giving me the duplicates so I'm like oh it's kind of working uh, so in that sense I, I really enjoyed that like gratification you get from writing something and, like, and then it's sort of working so I'm excited for when it actually works all the way <laughs> with these much easier ways of doing things. So I guess that brings us to our next topic, which is a little more on not doing silly things when programming. Yes. Basically, um, we had this article come across the Data Learners News Desk this week, which actually ties in really nicely with what we we're talking about. It's like coding mistakes that data scientists make. But I have to give a little caveat on this article. Normally, I introduce the article and the author and the title so you guys can go check it out afterwards. The reason I thought this article was interesting because they gave these 10 coding mistakes and most of them I agreed with, but some of them I didn't agree with. So I was like, okay, this is gonna be a cool, controversial, hot take, hot off the grill for you guys. Tori's topic of the week. 
the top response to this article was someone saying like, hey, why don't you disclose your relationship to this company? Because you mentioned them throughout the article as basically like the solution to almost every mistake that data scientists make while coding. Um, so there's an undisclosed relationship there. Um, and there's yeah. some ad stuff going on here. Yeah, it's low-key Some key money ad. under the table. Yeah, but I do think some of the trends were on point. For example, um, one of them was write for loops as a mistake instead of using NumPy, SciPy, or Pandas functions. But I like for loops. <laughs> they make sense to me. Yeah. Okay, so part of that is instead of having to understand every single piece of logic that goes into your code, you can say, well, it does this. That's all I need to understand about it, and I'm done. Yeah, and a couple of the other ones were about how you use and store data when writing data science code, which is non-trivial, right? Because if you're learning how to code, you write a program, and that program just works. But if you're writing code for data science, that code is heavily dependent on the data and whether the data is there, whether it's in the same schema that you the format it's in. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. So there was a couple like special rules for dealing with data. So tell me more. I'll um I'll try to word this in the form of tips instead of mistakes, so it's not confusing to what to do. But yeah, basically, mm -hmm. you somehow have to share the data that you use and reference in your code. Um, Sorry, say that again. You you have to share the data you use. You can't just publish your code and not make the disk the data the data available. available. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, and it's like saying what your sources are. Yeah, but at the same mm -hmm. time, you shouldn't just mix your data with your code files. So you have a directory that's just like run the script, data.csv, do some other stuff, more data.csv. You want okay. to separate out your data. Gotcha. Um, so I should, okay. Yeah. And if it's small data, you can share it together, but it, but usually, and especially if it's a lot of data, mm -hmm. you'll put it somewhere separately um, in object storage. So that would be if you're using AWS, it's called an S3 bucket. If you're using Google Cloud Platform, which I know you've been using, it's I think it's just called storage. It's literally just like a Google Drive, but you rent it from the cloud companies and you can just store files there. You can just put your CSV there. But I don't want to pay them. Yeah. for I think for hobbyists, this is like less of an important point. But uh, gotcha. for example, you're going to publish your project somewhere, do a write-up, share your mm -hmm. code. So to share your code, you um... usually put it on GitHub or GitBucket. And to share your data, some people will just put their data where they put their code because gotcha. they're putting things somewhere and they go together and you want them together to be right. able to run the code. But it's really not really optimized for large amounts of data. So okay. if you have a lot of data, you put it somewhere else. If you have a little bit of data, I'll, I'll like overlook it. Okay. Thanks, Tori. Yeah. As long as your data, <laughs> make sure that you have the right permissions to share it and stuff like that, which you definitely do. Okay. Because you're using public data anyways. It's and in your case, your data is already hosted somewhere. So you can just say in your documentation like hey go here to get the data so that brings me to a different question which is if i'm making this maybe new data set by adding latitude and longitude data do i need to share that as well yes so that's actually a tip that was not listed in this article that i think is super important when you're doing data science your data will go through multiple versions you'll have like raw mm -hmm. interim and processed typically okay. is how i think of it so raw is what you started with gotcha after you get your unique list of addresses that's going to be like your interim thing mm -hmm. which is what you'll feed into whatever and then you'll have processed which is probably like your final data frame that you're doing your analysis on gotcha so that's yeah. like when i have the addresses correlated to neighborhoods yeah and any other data cleaning steps that you do 
Yeah, it's so complicated. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Very Fine. good tip. I'm so glad you found that one. Yeah. I try, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um okay. Any other any other tips for us newbies? Um that you liked from this article? I mean this one we kind of touched on also is to write is writing tests for your code. So when you hit that bug, you couldn't figure out why it was duplicating. If you had written distinct functions for each step and a test to make sure that function was working, then you mm-hmm. would know exactly where the bug so was. So I ran into a lot of other bugs. Yeah. This, this was the one I couldn't figure out. Okay. Interestingly enough, sometimes when I was sending addresses to the Google API, it wasn't sending me back the information I wanted. I was like, what's going on here? So then I like just copied part of my code over, like changed a little bit to see what would happen and it wasn't sending and it was because I hadn't added a space in the text that I was sending to Google API as the query and I was like oh my gosh this is silly um, but it's like little things like that that you don't it's hard to spot in your program file as a whole so it's nice to be able to look at a little block of code and see like is this working is this working yes. what I've been doing up until now was using print statements mm-hmm. yeah uh, which is helpful mm-hmm. um, but I think I should be making more use of like Jupyter notebooks mm-hmm as opposed to just purely doing everything on Atom and using the command line. Yeah, that was another controversial point from this article was they were saying not to use Jupyter Notebooks, that it doesn't promote good software engineering habits. I think actually it's great to use Jupyter Notebooks, especially as you're learning, because you can very easily check the output of your code and your objects without having to put, I mean, you still have to put a print statement, but it's somehow just easier, right? Because it's happening all in line yeah. in the notebook instead of jumping back and forth between editing the code and running the code and checking the output. I guess I'm curious about what they mean by like good coding whatever. They, they did elaborate on that. It says you're tempted to dump all files into one directory. False. I've never had that problem using Jupyter Notebooks. Mm-hmm. You write code that runs top bottom instead of DAGs. So we'll have to pause there because DAG stands for Directed Acrylic Graphs, which he mentions earlier as something you should do instead of writing functions. So a function, you kind of know what that is because it's basically yeah. a for loop that you give a name to. So for that sure, you can there's run it an input times. and there's an output. Right. A DAG is like a task-dependent pipeline of code. All of this makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I don't think we have to go into this a lot Basically, read sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are tools, one of them being the one that this guy's trying to promote that encourages you, you know to write what? DAGs. We, we yeah. don't need to talk about his DAGs. We don't need to talk about that. His DAGs issues. Yeah. Okay. Back to why he thinks Jupyter Notebooks are bad. You don't modulize your code. Again, false. You can definitely write functions and modularity in Jupyter Notebooks. Mm-hmm. Difficult to debug. I don't know where he's getting that. You can definitely write tests within Jupyter Notebook. It's just an IDE. You can do everything you can do within Atom or Visual Studio mm-hmm. or another another more typical gotcha. code editor. So we don't agree yeah. with this guy all the way, but there are some good tips. This is not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it's better to do our own tips, but this was good fodder. 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 I love that word. Sami's word of the day. <laughs> it's just a good word. It is. Okay. Any other gems in this article? Or is it mostly just rebel? You know, documentation is important. So if you are writing a function, you can write a little doc string that says mm-hmm. what this function is supposed to do. I did a ton of that. There you go. did a ton of it. So many hashtag statements. Okay. 
There are differences between comments and functions or doc strings. Docs. Sorry. Okay. So that means that you you want me to write a whole different file that explains the logic and the goal and the purpose. That's like a my readme. Little... Okay. Doc strings are a separate thing that are specifically for functions that say what the input and output is. Oh, just kind of like, don't worry about the inside stuff. This is what you put in. This is what you get out. Yeah. So kind exactly. of how I need to be looking at pandas. Yeah, and what's cool is if you format them in a special way, you can auto-create documentation for the program that you wrote. Yeah. I look of astonishment on my face <laughs> for listeners at home. Yeah. What? So you know when you want to know how to use like a pandas function, you go to pandas and yeah. it has documentation and it says like, it takes in this type of data object, it returns this, and these oh, are the parameters. Okay. When you write doc strings, it'll auto-create that type of documentation. That's cool. Yeah, it is really That's cool. cool. So fun. Yeah. Everything is fun. It's a little above I the I wouldn't worry about it, point, yeah, though. for where you're at right now. But yeah, yeah just stick with your comments and My definitely a, zero. A read me. Yeah. yeah. You're okay. getting paid in learning. Yeah. Which Knowledge, which is priceless. Priceless. Zero. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what's our next I couldn't salvage any any other tips out of this article. Okay. Yeah. Did we did we give the author and such? Should we do that? <sighs> I didn't because I don't want to disparage someone publicly and I um, thought it was kind of shady that he was just trying to advertise. But I just cool. wanted to address it because it, it has um, 1.5 thousand claps. I guess I could have just said 1,500 mm. claps on Medium. Mm -hmm. So it's made the rounds. It's been okay. a popular article. So, it's so out we there. call it like it is, but yeah. we don't call it who it is. Yeah. <laughs> is that a phrase? Call no. it, calling it, not calling people out. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. We'll work we'll on work our catchphrases. We might, <laughs> yeah. But I guess that kind of wraps it up for this episode. Yep. Follow us on Twitter at... At Data Learners. Or email us at... DataLearnersPod at gmail.com. Also thinking we need an air horn so like when we want to do a hot take we can be like bah, 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 bah. i think that's our air horn from now on i hate you <laughs> <laughs>